Third John is the shortest book in the New Testament with 294 English words in our authorized King James Bibles. Third John has one chapter, obviously. And I just know as I'm teaching through this, I'm going to say chapter one, verse, and I don't need to say that. All I have to say is verse one. <laughs> but that's one chapter out of 1,189 chapters in the whole Bible. Through this uh, letter, we're going to see many things that are going to be helpful for our church. It's going to be beneficial in, in several different ways. So I want to give us just a simple outline, and then we're going to jump right into it, all right? Verse 1 is the greeting. Verses 2 through 12 are exhortations. He deals with, he's commending uh, Gaius and Demetrius as being good examples to follow. And he's encouraging the support of those who preach the truth, traveling ministers. So there's several exhortations in there. And then the closing in verses 13 and 14. So right there in verse number 1, The elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. So the elder is the Apostle John, and this letter is addressed to his friend Gaius. It's a very personal letter. He writes it to one man, which is unusual because normally letters are written to churches, unless you're talking about maybe First and Second Timothy or Titus, but even those letters were intended just to teach any man who is a God-called preacher about what he was supposed to do in the church. But this one is written to an individual. It's of a very personal nature. So why teach it to the church? Why teach it to the congregation? Well, this little letter will benefit our church in several ways. First of all, <clears throat> it's scripture. And all scripture is profitable, right? Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Second of all, it will teach us about church hospitality. And what we're supposed to do as a church to be hospitable to God's people. And thirdly, it'll commend us <clears throat> when we look at the good characteristics and the Christian men that are mentioned here and commend us to follow those examples. And it condemns bad characteristics in Christian men. Number four, it presents a vivid glimpse into the life of the first century church. Did you ever wonder what first century churches were like? We're really going to get a peek right inside of one of these churches. Number five, it will teach us how to handle a difficult person in the church and teach us the balance between truth and love when dealing with church members. And sixthly, Lastly, it will give us scriptural grounds for our part in supporting worldwide missions, which is what the Lord spoke to my heart about initially. <clears throat> All right, so John is writing to his well-beloved friend, Gaius. And notice uh, just how tender his words are. He says, whom I love in the truth. Now, this is a grown man talking to another grown man. But they're Christians, and uh, they love one another. He even uses the word beloved in verse 2, the beginning. He uses it again in verse 5, so it didn't just accidentally slip out, you know. 
And then he says it again in verse 11. He says, you're my beloved friend. But he says, I love you in the truth. At the end of verse 1, whom I love in the truth. Truth is mentioned seven times in this little letter. Seven times. I think he's trying to you know, emphasize that, to make a point, that truth is important. Now remember that we've learned recently on Sunday mornings that truth and love are partners. In uh, biblical Christianity, they, they walk hand in hand. They're like twin sisters, truth and love. We love in truth. We learn that. We love in the boundaries of truth. Yes, we're supposed to love one another, but there are, there are boundaries. There are times when we can be out of bounds. Uh, so our love is regulated, controlled by the truth. In other words, what do we do with a, with a brother who is um, filled with pride and who's arrogant and pretty much is just a stuffed church? Or stuffed shirt, and he's trying to make a power play and, and uh, trying to control certain ministries in the church and, and is, is exalting himself above others. What do we do with a brother like that? We're supposed to be loving, right? Yes, but loving in the truth. What do we do with a brother who's involved in some kind of uh, secret sin and it's something that's it's, it's as bad as what the pagans are doing outside in the in the world of, of unbelievers, but it comes to light. What do we do about that? We're supposed to love them, yes, but within the boundaries of truth. There are certain things that Scripture tells us to do in those cases, and we have one of those cases in this letter. And so there's a balance there. And we, we learned recently that love is not simply an emotional thing. That's not what John is referring to. It's not a sentimental emotional feeling, John, when he says love, he's referring to an action. You say, how do you know that? Because he said, this is the love of God. In other words, our love for God. This is the love of God, that you keep his commandments. So Jesus said, you love me? If you love me, keep my commandments. He's saying, if you want to show me your love, keep my commandments. What was his commandment? Love one another. Love for your brother and your sister in Christ. And how do we love our brother and sister? We, we studied it in First John. We do it by our actions. If you see your brother have need, and, you, and you, you shut up your bowels of compassion, in other words, you close your heart off, and you don't open your heart to that brother and, their need, and his need, then how dwelleth the love of God in you? God is saying, I don't care. You can talk about it all day long and say you feel so warm and fuzzy and everything like that. But when the time comes for you to show your love and you don't do it, don't tell me you love your brother. You don't. So he's saying it's an action. It is an action. Yes, it's a feeling. But you know what I found out? I found out that I have feelings and affections for people that I'm involved with, that I'm with, that I'm serving. And sometimes in a marriage, this isn't the point of all this. Sometimes in a marriage, you feel like the love has kind of uh, died down, right? The flame is kind of reduced to just a flicker, and it almost feels like that flame is going to go out. Well, guess what? Start doing things to show your partner, your spouse, that you, you love them. Start doing things for one another to do that, and you'll find that your love will grow. Your affections will grow if you, you do things. Same thing is true with the brother or sister in Christ. Guess what? If I all of a sudden just get out of church, I'm talking like a pastor, I just get out of church and stop hanging out with God's people, guess what? My love and my affections for them will, uh, 
will, will, will diminish, will go away. Uh, I'll lose my affection for God's people. But if I get back into church and I say, oh, boy, I miss church. This is where I belong. Start getting around God's people, start living with them, serving with them, praying with them. Guess what? Those affections start to grow. But primarily, it is an action. Love is an action word. Okay? So, in verse 2, he says, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. Now, this is not a doctrinal statement. This verse is abused um, by the health and wealth preachers that you see on television, these television evangelists. They preach a false gospel that we have termed the prosperity gospel. And they, they say that it's the directive will, that it is God's direct will for every believer to be wealthy and healthy. And if you're not what they imply, they might not come out and say it, at least not until after they've gotten the offering. But they might not come out and say it, but what they're implying is that if you're not healthy... And if you're not wealthy, it's because you have secret sin in your life. It's because you're failing on your part. And it's a false gospel. And they use this verse right here to teach it. But listen, if every believer is supposed to be healthy and wealthy, where does that put Paul? Paul was sick his entire ministry. He carried a doctor with him, Dr. Luke. Where does that put Peter? Peter was sick. Peter was poor. Uh, Where does that put countless thousands of poor, diseased Christians throughout India, Africa, Central America, who are just struggling to serve the Lord? But many of those poor third world Christians are loving and serving Christ more than any charismatic preacher on television. So where does that put them? Fact is, is it's a false gospel. It's not doctrine here. It's not even a promise of Scripture. Notice closely what he's saying. He's saying, Beloved, I wish. So he's talking to his friend. And he says, I wish above all things. It's not even a prayer. It's a wish. I wish above all things. But he is wishing him well. That you would prosper financially and be in health. So those are uh, physical things. He wants him to prosper physically, you know, and I want the same thing for you. And I know you want the same thing for me. And I wish that you would prosper and I wish that you would be in good health. And I don't enjoy hearing about so-and-so getting sick. And I don't enjoy hearing when you, I especially don't enjoy hearing when one of you get sick and you start to ask the church to pray for me. And I think I'm looking at a surgery and things like that. We wish that we could be healthy all the time and that we would prosper No one likes to see a brother or sister lose a job. You know, that's hard on you to have to lose a job and look for another job. But what I'm saying is it's not a doctrine here, and it's not even a promise. He's just saying, you're my friend, and I want you to prosper. I want you to be in health. But he he says, even as thy soul prospereth. Do you see that his soul prospering, that's spiritual, and the, the health and the wealth, that that's physical? Okay, so John wishes that Gaius would prosper physically 
as much as he does spiritually. Do you see that? Even as thy soul prospereth. Listen, if John prayed this for him, and no doubt he did. John was a praying man. If he prayed, he's been thinking about how he wishes that he would prosper physically as much as he does spiritually. So he starts to pray and say, Lord, I pray that my friend Gaius, I love him, and uh, he's, a, he's a good Christian brother, and I just pray that he would prosper, that you would just take care of him financially, Lord, because I see how Gaius, he just helps out anybody who's coming into town and they've got a traveling preaching ministry, whether he knows them or he doesn't, he helps them out and he says, here, come stay in my house. I'll take care of you. I'll be a friend to you. I'll provide companionship. I'll provide food. If you need something, let me know. If you need something for your ministry, you know, if your car's broke down, you need a a tire changed, I'll, I'll fix that, you know, and if you need an oil change, we'll get you an oil change and They didn't have cars back then. I'm just saying. He's like, Lord, Gaius is that kind of guy. And if you would give him more money, I know he would use it for the right thing. If you'd prosper him. And Lord, I pray that he'd be in good health because I want his ministry to last for a long time. And I want you to be glorified. And he's helping out the church there where he is. So he's praying that for him. But he's praying this. He's saying, even as your soul prospered. Now, let me kind of turn that around in an interesting way. Uh, I got this idea from a pastor and author, Zane Hodges, his book. Took that idea, and I'm going to kind of ad-lib on this idea. What if I prayed for you? Or what if you prayed, um, what if somebody else prayed for you? What if maybe your wife prayed for you, or or your brother in the church prayed for you and said, Lord, I pray for brother so-and-so, I pray for sister so-and-so. I pray that she would prosper or that he would prosper physically, even as, that's the same, the same, in the same way. Physically, even as he prospers spiritually. Would you want somebody to pray that for you? Don't be too quick to answer the question. It depends on how you're doing spiritually. Because listen, if my physical condition was based on how I was doing spiritually, That could be a good thing or it could be a bad thing. Because if I'm not doing well spiritually, then what would that say to my physical condition? What would happen to my physical condition? In other words, you might be crippled (laughs) with unforgiveness. You might find out that you'd have heart trouble due to, you know, have some kind of heart disease. Because spiritually you had a lack of love for your brother or sister. You might find out that physically your hands would cripple up with arthritis because your your hands of generosity were never open <laughs> to your brother or sister in Christ in the church you know you're one of those kind of people that uh, you know you keep your wallet tucked in your pocket when you come into church and it's you know uh, Abraham Lincoln in there George Washington's you know gasping for breath and there you, you're so tight with your money you know all those jokes what if your hands shriveled shriveled up with arthritis would you have achy joints of complaints and murmuring? Would you have high blood pressure due to uncontrolled anger and sinful outbursts? Would you have a body ridden with the cancer of secret sin? You might suffer from the effects of depression due to prayerlessness and unholy life, no praise and thanksgiving to God. What if you haven't used your spiritual muscles? In a while, maybe in years, 
You'd be suffering from overall weakness and a lack of balance physically. You'd be in a danger of falling. (laughs) Would you want this prayer prayed for you right now? Lord, I pray that you'd bless him even as his soul prospers. Maybe your soul is poor spiritually. Maybe you're not doing well spiritually. Maybe you don't want your physical health linked directly to your spiritual health. What kind of spiritual condition are you in tonight? John knew this about Gaius. John knew that Gaius was healthy spiritually. In verse 3, For I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in truth. You see? He walked, he lived in the truth. He was healthy spiritually. What does it mean to walk and to live in the truth? Well, according to what John has been saying, he's been saying to walk and live in the truth. The truth is in Jesus, right? The, the command is to believe on Jesus and to love your brother. And, and, and John said, this man is an example of that. His walk, his life, he's a living, you can see his faith. He's a living example of this. He was healthy spiritually. Not only that, he had the right doctrine. See, he says that the truth is in thee. He has the right doctrine. The truth governs his life. He stays within the bounds of truth. And uh, also, he was loving the brethren the way that John had explained so look at 1 John 3.23 just briefly. This, this one we have to go back and see again. 1 John 3.23. Basically what he was saying is that he's reached the highest pinnacle or peak of Christian experience that a Christian can reach. 1 John 3.23. And you know what, guys? It's not just reserved for people like Gaius. Any one of us. Any one of us can do this by His Spirit, with God helping. We could be healthy spiritually. There's no, there's no stopping us if we just obey the Lord. So 1 John 3.23 says this, and this is His commandment. See, it's singular. There's actually going to be two commandments, but they're so cro- closely related, it's just one commandment, because you can't have one without the other. That we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, as commanded, and love one another as he gave us commandment. You see that? So he had believed on God's son. He was loving his brethren. And, and folks, look at 5.2. <clears throat> look at chapter 5, verse 2. He was doing this. By this we know that we love the children of God. That is, listen, if you would ask me, Pastor John, I want to know on the authority of God's word, I want to do this. God says I should love my brother, so tell me like exactly how I can know when I'm doing it. How can I know? All right, verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God, what does that mean to love God? To obey his commandments. And keep his commandments. What was the commandment? To love one another. How do you love one another? You just be there in church. Be praying for one another. And when you see a need, you take the lead and help. 
Whatever the need is, it's not always financial. Probably a lot of the times it's not, but it's a need. God shows you something, and you're like, I wonder if anybody else sees this. It's not for anybody else to see. It's for you to see. Somebody else should do something about this. No, you should do something about it. You know, Somebody's crying in in the back pew of the church. Sit down and talk to them. Pray with them. Listen. Say it must be really hard what you're going through. And uh, let's pray together. You know, acknowledge what they're going through. I don't know what it is. It might be somebody's struggling with sin and, and, and you're supposed to go to them. And if somebody's overtaken in a fault, you're supposed to restore them. You know, it might be somebody is uh, just lonely. Or, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. But that's how you love one another. And look, you know that you love the children of God basically when you're a living example. Can you see that in verse 2? You're a living example of this obedience. That is the, the, the highest achievement for a Christian in this life. It didn't say anything about going to India to preach the gospel to the lost. It just said, love your brother and be an example of this kind of love. That's how you love your brother, by being an example of an obedient Christian, walking in the truth, living it out so that other people can see it. If you do that, God says you have reached the peak, the highest achievement award for a Christian. And when you go to the judgment seat of Christ, I don't think you'll have to fear that judgment because you will have done what he wanted you to do, to walk in love. Notice how John was like, beloved, beloved, beloved. I think about, let's go back to Third John. I think about sometimes the way that I've talked to God's people before, and I was wrong. One day the Lord had to tell me, uh, dummy, you're talking to my children. <laughs> you know, don't talk to my children like that. God had to deal with me about that big time. Both in the pulpit and uh, one-on-one sometimes the way that I talk to people. and Yeah, we got to watch that. So, uh, John knew that he was healthy spiritually, therefore he prayed that he would prosper physically, even as he prospered uh, spiritually. Now in verse 4, he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. And that's just what I was just talking about. That's the great joy of the Apostle John, just to hear that his children are walking in truth. And obviously he's talking to people that he's led to Christ. They're spiritually his children. These are churches that have followed the Apostle John. This is where God sent him. It's Asia, the Roman province of Asia. Today it's modern day Turkey. This is where God sent him to labor. And he said, you're my spiritual children and you fill my heart with joy that you're walking in the truth. Okay. And then in verse five, we'll finish in verse five for tonight. He says, Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers. So lastly, tonight, I'd just like to look at that phrase. What does that mean, to the brethren and to strangers? So he's commending this man as a good example, some character traits that we should follow. And uh, he points out something specific now, his, his hospitality, his care for these brethren and these strangers. 
So he's known for caring for traveling preachers. Let's just read a few verses just so you can see that. In verse 6, which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well. So when they got to the church and they got up to do their preaching ministry, they would talk about, I want to thank you, church, for receiving us so graciously. You're so hospitable. And Brother Gaius, he's been taking great care of us, and we've enjoyed his companionship and staying at his house and, and, and so on. Um, and he says in verse 7, because that for his name's sake, they went forth taking nothing of the Gentiles. So these traveling preachers were supported solely by the churches. We therefore ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. And he wouldn't receive in these traveling preachers. But you know what? Gaius did. So... Some of them he calls brethren. And uh, the brethren refers to those traveling preachers that Gaius knew. And the strangers is referring to the traveling preachers that he didn't know. Okay? He didn't know them, but they were traveling about from church to church. You see, a a God-called preacher receives a call from God to preach the word of God. And he usually receives it when he's in a spiritual atmosphere in the midst of Christian service at a church, in the midst of being faithful to the Lord, because the Lord never calls a lazy man. He doesn't call a couch potato or an armchair quarterback to preach the gospel. He calls somebody who's just busy doing something. Usually somebody who just got busy, starting to pass out tracts, coming to church, taking up the offering, doing everything that they can, maybe teaching a Sunday school class when it's needed or something like that. And then God will call a man like that. The calling to preach is one that God says he will not repent of. The gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. He will not change his mind once he calls a man to preach. Very few men are answering the call to preach these days. But once a man is called, the way that the Lord called me, I think the Lord called me the day that I got saved. Looking back on it, I just didn't know it at the time. But uh, once he calls a man, then he'll call him to special service. That is, some men are called to be pastors. Some men are called to be Bible teachers, and they're just really good at it. And and I'm talking just about the preaching ministry in the church. Uh, Some men are called to be evangelists, missionary evangelists. Uh, The evangelist in the Bible, he's a missionary, he's traveling, he's starting churches, he's organizing them into congregations and so on. And uh, he's good at preaching the gospel, good at getting things going. And, And God had called these men to be traveling preachers. It's, in, it's biblical. To go from church to church, preaching, teaching, strengthening the churches. They're not to stay put in one church, pastoring, but they're to travel around. And it's very biblical. And when they do travel around, you know, Paul was a tent maker, was he not? That's how he earned a living. But he was an apostle, and his case was special. And he said he did that because he was starting this thing off. And he didn't want anybody to criticize his ministry. And he didn't want anybody to say he was just out just robbing churches, you know, taking money from churches. So he said, I worked and made tents to make my living so that I was not chargeable. It didn't cost churches. They didn't have to take up a love offering to support me. However, when Paul established the local church, he said, you are to support the ministers of the gospel. 
They that preach the gospel should live with the gospel. You know, you don't muzzle the ox when he's treading out the corn. And Paul taught churches, support your ministers. So what you're doing for me is biblical, it's right. If you weren't doing it, I know it's, it's hard to say as a preacher, just I won't be the only one who ever pastors in this church, and I wasn't the first one, and there's a lot before me. And the church should support their minister. That's biblical. If they don't do it, you're disobeying the scriptures. And then also... We see from the Apostle John that he commends Gaius for helping out traveling preachers. When traveling preachers come in, you're supposed to take care of their lodging, take care of their food, take care of their traveling expenses, their ministry expenses. And so when we have a preacher come in, like we'll have somebody come in for spring revival, we'll give him an offering. When, when missionaries come through, we give them a little bit to help them along their way, to help them to make it to the next church. And missionaries take up collections from churches, and, and churches support them on a monthly basis. And uh, oftentimes, it takes 60 to 80 American churches supporting a missionary at 75 to $100 a month in order to put them on a field, say, like China or uh, maybe Brazil or you know wherever. Italy is very expensive. Uh, some of the other countries that are less, uh, you can do a lot. In the Philippines, and you don't need much money. And so those missionaries, they figure out what they need, their budget, and, and then they, they try to reach that to, to go to those countries. So we could support a missionary to the Philippines at 25 or $50 a month, in other words. But the thing is, is we're supposed to do it. We're supposed to help them out. And we're supposed to be hospitable. So when we have a preacher coming through this church, let's be like Gaius. And that's what I want to teach our church about. But let's, let's wrap this up. He says... Uh, you supported uh, the brethren and the strangers, and you did it faithfully. You see that in verse 5? Faithful. Whatsoever thou doest to the brethren, you're, you're faithful to do it. And to strangers. So, I uh, want to look next time at the hospitality for traveling preachers. And we'll look at that in a little bit more detail. But recently, Beth and I went to Pennsylvania, and we stayed in a home. Uh, it was a pastor's home. And he let us stay in the basement. And his wife runs a homeschooling co-op. So about 50 kids meet in this basement on a regular basis. And we stayed down there. And I kind of looked. the room looked like it was like one of the teenage girls' rooms in the house. And uh, it was, I mean, it's not home, you know. But they gave us a place to stay, and, and there's a lot of things I could tell you about, it and I won't. But I'll say this. We were strangers. Yes, brothers in Christ. This pastor, he's an attorney, and uh, so he, he, he pastors this church part-time. But he had a nice house, and he opened up his house to, to make sure that the, the traveling singer could go there and, and his wife could stay there so that we don't have to pay $100 for a hotel for the night. You know, and then they took care of food while we were there. They offered to give me an offering for gas. Um, it was about five hours that, to get there, and I didn't take anything. Uh, I didn't need anything, so I just told them, I'm, I'm providing this to you guys because I can do it, because the Lord has called me to do this. The Lord put a burden on my heart and said, do this. And so I don't know how to explain how you know when that's happening, but you just know. And so the Lord said, get up, stand up in the preacher's fellowship meeting and tell the preachers that you're willing to travel and do music for, you know, their meetings, tent meetings, revival meetings, camp meetings, 
uh, anything that they're doing, you're willing to go and do music if, if the Lord puts you on their hearts. So I did that, and then a couple people have had us come out. So that's, that's what they do for one another so that we can travel and uh, do the work of the ministry. Now, next time, we're going to learn some things about this, and um, we're going to learn about how we can be missionaries, like, biblically, we can be missionaries, even though God hasn't called us to leave Racine. We are missionaries. If you support a local mission work that's reaching the downer outers, uh, you're supporting them in that ministry, guess what? You're giving toward that. You're helping toward that. So you're a helper in that ministry. You are a missionary. If you support a foreign missionary, you're helping them through deputation. You're supporting them and you're praying for them, you're a fellow helper in the ministry, you are a missionary. So much so that when one day the Lord uh, rewards us for our efforts here, that he will say that we were fellow helpers, even though he had never called us to leave Racine. All right, let's go ahead and pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you tonight for this little letter, and I thank you for these things that we see in Gaius. And God, I know sometimes that we can just feel like we'll never, we'll never rise to that level of Christianity. But you wouldn't command us to do something that, that we're not capable of doing by your Spirit. And it would be cruel for you to command us to do something that we're not capable of doing. So, Lord, I know that the only thing that holds me back or holds any of us back is just our disobedience and our unwillingness to walk in the truth and to walk in the Spirit, or sometimes just our discouragement. The devil is so good at discouraging us and tearing us down and telling us that we'll never measure up. Father, I pray that you would just cast down all of those false uh, ideas cast down all of those thoughts that are contrary to your word. I pray that you'd put a hedge of protection about us, protect us from our enemy. Give us spiritual protection, Lord. And I pray that you would help us, that you would create in our heart a desire to obey your will and just to obey what you want us to do as a church and individually. And most importantly, to walk in love and to walk in the truth. And to walk in the light with you where there, there is no darkness. In Jesus' name, amen.